Now, this year, uh, we've been talking a lot about evangelism and discipleship. Our theme this year is Each One Reach One. It's all about uh, reaching people with the gospel. And not just reaching them with the gospel, but making sure we are prepared as individuals to be able to reach them. It's great to have a plan in place, but if you can't execute the plan, then the plan doesn't really matter. Does that make sense? If you are not ready and prepared to do what God has called you to do, what God has laid on your heart, and what God has um, challenged you to do, if you have not equipped yourself to do those things, then uh, the plan isn't going to work. And we've talked a lot about evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism, we said, is the heartbeat of God. God wants all people to hear the gospel. God, the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Peter, he's not willing that any should perish. It's God's plan for everybody to accept Jesus as their Savior. Not everybody will, but that's God's desire. He died for the entire human race. So evangelism is the heartbeat of God, and discipleship, which is us growing in our faith, and us as a church investing in ourselves and in our people and in each other in our faith to grow. Discipleship is the lifeblood of the church. If we don't have a discipleship program in place that is active and we're actively taking people through it, people are actively growing in their faith, then our church is going to die. No doubt about it. We'll be a one generation, one and done kind of thing. I loved having our kids in here uh, this morning. Um, don't mind having that once a month or something. <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. Gabriel and Michael were invited to try out for the uh, under nine all-star team in Longmeadow um, this morning. It was 8.15 in the morning. 8.15 is early, and 11 o'clock is early, and have, yeah, it's, it was, uh, but it was great to have all the kids in here. And that, what's awesome is, as Zach and I talk uh, about the youth ministry, I said, Bud, you, we need to start getting the, uh, the, the systems in place now in the youth ministry, because in two years, you've got a flood of kids coming in there, and in five years, man, there's going to be a... Uh, just a, a tidal wave of children. And from that point on, we've got uh, a lot of kids that are going to be in youth ministry. That's awesome to see. If we don't invest in ourselves in discipleship and in our children and teach them the word of God, that won't continue. You understand that, right? If we don't invest generationally in ourselves and our children, then our church is going to die. Discipleship is the life's blood of the church. Now, over the next several weeks, I want to stay in the same topic, but I want to take a little bit of a different tack uh, looking at uh, each one, reach one. The title of this new series that we're going to be doing is WDJD. What did Jesus do? We, we all, how many of you remember the WWJD bracelets and WWJD uh, bumper stickers and all those kind of things. WWJD. What? WWJD. What? Did, I feel like Elmer Fudd when I say that. Uh, all those things. Uh, the, all the. What would Jesus do? Well, it's great to know what Jesus would do, but if we're going to be practical with our faith, we need to know what Jesus did do. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at the things that Jesus actually did, how he lived his life, and how he lived the faith that he was bringing to the world so that we will be able to learn from his example of blending faith and life, of finding balance in our lives. We want, what we want to do is find the balance, learn to strike the balance in our lives, not between faith and life, but with faith and life. Okay? I'm going to tell you up front, 
as we get into this, there's going to be some difficult messages to hear. There's going to be some difficult truths from the Word of God to digest. It's going to be some pointed understanding, pointed lessons that we need to understand about our personal walk and what we do outside of this church to grow. When, when uh, the worship team sang Build My Life, that's the first time song, right? In- introduced, I wasn't in here when uh, Zach introduced the song. That song's awesome, right? What was great for me to, he- to, to listen to and to watch was everybody who, know- everybody who was singing along with that. So it was introduced by our worship team the first time here, but so many of you know that song already, which tells me that you're investing in your walk with the Lord by listening to good Christian music and taking in good. Don't ever underestimate the power of the music you listen to, the power of what you read, the power of what you watch. What you take in determines what you will give out, okay? So we want to learn how to find that balance. It's possible, you know, it's possible to live every day in such a way that you incorporate the principles of the Bible into your words, your actions, your attitude, and your relationships. In fact, living a life that is woven with faith in everything we do is the absolute best way to convince people to choose Jesus as their Savior. So see what we're doing? We're we're discipling ourselves so that we can evangelize others, right? We're discipling ourselves. We're we're getting the lifeblood of the church going through our bodies, our spirits, our spiritual walk, so that we can then go out there and live a life in front of people that convinces them that Jesus is the option and the choice for them. Ravi Zacharias made this observation. He says, I have little doubt that the single greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers, but the failure on our parts to live it out. Let me say that again. I have little doubt that the single greatest obstacle obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers, but the failure on our parts to live it out. Gypsy Smith, an English evangelist from the 1900s, said this, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian, but but most will never read the first four. In other words, your faith will be seen before it's read. Your faith will be seen by others before they read about your faith. In fact, your faith most likely will be seen by others before they ever step foot in a church. The reason, many, the reason most people will come to a church and come to this church is because they've seen the impact and the influence that Jesus has on the life of people they know. And now with Facebook, um, as we reach out through that medium to, to reach people, it's much more important that if you, you know, it's, it's great to put the thought for the day or the verse for the day on your Facebook page, but if you don't live out what you're putting on your Facebook page and people see that you are totally different than what you're representing as a godly person on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media you choose, then you're not going to be credible at all to them. You're just not going to have credibility as a Christian. Now, it's very easy, I believe, to mistake busyness for spirituality. It's very easy to mistake busyness for spirituality. It's very easy to mistake motion for passion. You can be the East Coast distributor of involved, but not be close to God. 
If we aren't careful, we can become so busy serving that we neglect our personal walk with Jesus and grow cold to the Spirit of God. And when that happens, that's when we enter the danger zone of lukewarm Christianity, the state where we think we're okay with God, but we're actually way out of touch with them. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hands and admit to this. I'll raise my hand because I've found myself there before. I found myself exactly in that situation where I've been so busy ministering to others, been so busy doing other things that are good for the church and good things to do, no doubt about it, that I haven't taken the time. It's not that I haven't had the time. I haven't taken the time to make sure that this life is on track with God. This is the, remember this, this life, and I'm, I'm pointing to myself, you can point to yourself, this life is the one you will stand to God and answer, stand before God and answer for. So you need to make sure that this life is straight with him. So that when you stand before him, you can stand before him unashamed. And when this life is straight, you can minister effectively to those lives out there. Now, enter into this equation the example of Jesus, the one who showed us how to live life, live faith practically, effectively, and fruitfully. Now, I know that there are some of you who will say, well, of course he did. He was God. Of course he did things right. I get that. I understand that. But don't use that as a cop-out, okay? Don't, don't use that as an, as, as an excuse not to try. It's true to a degree, but the Bible also says that Jesus was, a, was tempted and experienced the struggles of humanity just like us so that he could show us the example of how to live. Now, I know we aren't perfect, and the task of living like Jesus is daunting to say the least, but living life effectively for Jesus is possible. You need to understand that. Living life effectively for Jesus is possible. And that's the goal of this series, to learn how to put into practice the things that Jesus literally did in his life. One of the things we're going to talk about, I alluded to it just a minute or two ago, one of the things we're going to talk, be talking about is the practice of resting, of resting, of uh, those who, would, who are students of the Old Testament would call it uh, a Sabbath. We, today we call it a sabbatical, taking a sabbatical, right? Many, of you, many people take sabbaticals from work. I know a pastor right now who, whose church is ready to take the next step in their phase of growth, who is taking a three-month sabbatical to pray about it, to get leadership from God, to restore himself, and to get ready to enter that next phase. That is the one thing, and let, let's be honest, once again, won't ask you to raise your hands, but if I were to say how many of you feel guilty for taking time for yourselves, first hands that will go up will be moms, right? Mom's like, hey, no, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? And, and parents, you know, the, taking time for yourself is not something you do. But we will see as we dig into this that Jesus thought it was amazingly important to rest, to learn how to come away. In fact, one of the examples we use, I'm way ahead of my series right now, but one of the examples we use is, remember the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples? They're going across the, 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 the lake and a storm comes up, right? There's a massive storm. It's about to capsize the boat. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. He was sleeping, right? The disciples freak out. Don't you care that we perish? Jesus says, peace be still. Can I go back to bed now? 
right? That's how I, that's how I see that. Just peace be still. Hey, listen, I've got to finish my sleep, all right? I've got a big day tomorrow. We've got to learn that that's okay to take time to rest and take a break. Philippians 4.13 tells us this, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What we're going to do is divide Jesus' life into at least three categories. We're going to look at his personal life. How did he manage his personal life? Secondly, his message. How did Jesus manage his message? We all have a story to tell, the story of our life, right? If we do it as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, our message will be his message and how his message has been woven in and through our lives so that our message will be his message given practically and how it is effective, okay? And the third thing we're going to look at is uh, how Jesus managed his actions. We're going to see how he lived out the principles of his own word to show us how to live, all right? What did Jesus do? So let's jump in. The first thing we, we the first thing, uh, first category is how did Jesus manage his personal life? Jesus managed his personal life and he managed it incredibly effectively. John Piper said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Man, that's deep. That's way deep. God is most glorified in our lives when we are most satisfied in him. If Jesus called you to do something that would take a lot of your own efforts but would give a small financial return for the rest of your life, would you do it? If he called you to be a missionary to a faraway country, the, the, uh, the, there's portions of this world where there are... It, it, it's estimated where we have a Nepali congregation that meets here in the, in the afternoon at 2 o'clock. Did you know the area where they're from, Nepal is near the Himalayas, that area there, Tibet and all this, did you know that it is estimated, now this will blow your mind, it's an area with over 8 million people, okay? A region of over 8 million people. Did you know that it's estimated that there are less Christians in that region than there are sitting here today in this, in this one auditorium? That's, ins that, that's unbelievable to me. And there are other areas of this world just like that. What if he called you to that? To where you would be ministering in a foreign land with little pay, little, uh, little recognition. Would you be willing to do it? See, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If he laid a burden on your heart to be a financial stalwart of your church, what I mean is, if he asked you to dig into your wallet and give to the ministry of your local church beyond what you're comfortable doing, would you do it? Would you be willing to do it? He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Jesus managed his personal life Effectively, How did he do it? Man, we might as well just jump right in to the slaps, to the punches in the face, all right? Right? Here we go. The first thing he did was this. Jesus followed the Father's plan obediently. Obediently. Boy, that's a word we don't like as adults, right? What do you mean obey? 
gosh, I'm 56 years old. Who do I have to obey? Why? That's, that's, that's for children. That's for ch children. Are, uh, children are, are need to obey. Man, I don't think so. Oh, they do, okay? Children, the, you want to you raise good kids who grow into productive adults, good Christian individuals? Make your children obey. Make your children mind you. Hey, you're not, you're not going, to, you're not going to, um, to destroy their psyche by punishing your children. Okay? You all know I have two, Michael and Gabriel. Whew, they are, they're great boys. I love these two little boys to death, man. I was so proud. Aaron, Aaron was so proud. Michael hit a home run this year in baseball, and Aaron videoed it, right? You didn't see. You saw Michael run to first. And then you saw Michael come home. But in between, Aaron was up and screaming. I tried to listen to it on her phone, and it was like shrieks and screams. No lie. Those of you, how many of you guys that played Little League, girls that played Little League, when he came across home plate, guess who was there to greet him? Aaron ran onto the field, man. <laughs> she ran onto the field and grabbed Michael at home plate. It was awesome. It was awesome. Love these two little boys to death. But I'll tell you what. Next Saturday, they'll, they'll turn eight years old, and there's two of them. And they, they are, they're, they're little boys, 100%. Tell you what, my two little boys know that they better mind me. They better mind their mom. And if they don't, there's a price to pay. Oh, that's, you need to, you need to use timeout. You need to, you need to use rewards and the uh, cotton balls. Uh, okay, you use cotton. You know what? I'll use cotton balls to clean their knees. <laughs> but that man sitting right back there raised me. He didn't give me any cotton balls in a jar. All right? That's right. That's right. You want to know how to raise children? Get into the word. Make them obey, man. Make them, that doesn't mean you beat your children. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you're a terrorist. But you don't want to raise terrorists either. Right? You want your children to, and I want my boys, man, I want my boys to have fun. I want them to be little boys. I want them to enjoy themselves. My three older ones, I mean, I, I'm living the dream the second time around. It was nothing like watching my three oldest kids play sports. And now I get to watch these two little boys play sports. And I get to sit there with my father and we watch them play Little League. It's just awesome. But there's more to it than that, and I, I want them to be well-rounded, and I want them to understand that obedience is a part of life, especially because I want them at one point in their life to surrender their lives to serve God. And that means you must obey the Father's plan obediently. See, we're going to bring it all back around. Go way off in the distance, but we'll come back to it. Jesus obeyed the Father's plan obediently. What does obedience mean? Let's give you a definition of obedience. Obedience is simply this, compliance with an order, request, or law. Or, and this is the second part we really want to look at and focus on, submission to another's authority. Submission to another's authority. That's what it's about. Those of us who served in the military, we know the first part of that, right? We know what the first part is all about. Compliance with an order. Jonathan works down at the Pentagon during the week. I didn't know if you know that. Jonathan, back, raise your hand as if nothing matters at all. Jonathan works at the Pentagon. Now, Jonathan's an E7. In, in, for those of you who had never served in the military, on the enlisted side the, in the Army, uh, <laughs> that's really, anyway. Uh, <laughs> go Army. 
Um, in the army, there's, there's nine grades. It goes up to E9. There's Jonathan's up near the top. He's senior enlisted, e, E7. Now, Jonathan works at the Pentagon. You know, what that, you know what E7 is? Hey, get me some coffee. <laughs> right? Am I right? There are generals that, I mean, it's, yeah, you're just a... You know what, even, and, and those of you who have served, my dad served, he, my dad reached the rank of E8 in the Navy. Even, I was, I was in for four years, and one of the most frustrating things was when these kids, Bob, right? These kids that were either coming through ROTC or graduated from West Point. They can't even shave yet, man. And I gotta obey them. I have to follow their order. I have to do what they tell me to do. Why? Because that's the way the military is set up. I don't have to like it, but if I wanna be successful in the military, I have to follow their orders. So those of us who have served and those of you who have been in a situation where obedience was important, you understand the first part. The second part is what we wanna look at and that's what really applies to us as followers of Jesus. Submission to another one's authority. Whether you like it or not, when you accept that Jesus Christ is your Savior, we believe in salvation by grace through faith here. You, uh, you realize you're a sinner. You accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins because you can't pay the price for your own sin. Jesus paid the price by dying on the cross. All you have to do is receive and ask and accept that gift of salvation. And the Bible says he gives you eternal life. So we believe in salvation by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Now, what that does now in your life as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, is place an authority over you. God is now the authority in your life. The Bible says that you were adopted into his family. The Bible says that when you accepted him as your savior, he bought you with a price. So you now have the authority of God in your life. But notice, obedience means that you, it, it is implied in that, that definition, that you willingly submit yourself to his authority. The one beautiful thing I love about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the free will part of it. I have, it's not a forced thing. I have to choose. And for me at least, knowing that I'm the one that has to make the effort to follow his plan, he will do all of this for me as long as I'm willing to follow his plan, as long as I'm willing to do what he says, as long as I'm willing to follow his will. It's not about me. It's not about my personal desire. It's not about what I want. If I want to glorify him and have all the blessings in life that he, he says I can have in his word, I must choose to be obedient to his will. No better example of obedience to the Father's will do we see than in Jesus. Listen, if you think that being obedient to anything is easy, just ask a child. Right? If you think obedience to anything is easy, just ask a child. Michael and Gabriel, we adopted them through DCF. Their birthday is Saturday. For any, any of you who have been involved in foster care, you know a birthday is a trigger in a child's life. Big time trigger. They build up to it. 
It, it is just so different. I mean, it's a big deal for any kid, but for kids of trauma, it's a, it's a thing. That's why, don't be offended if you're not invited to Gabriel and Michael's birthday party, because really nobody is. We don't do a big deal for them because they freak out. The first time my, my parents were there and we had a big crowd, I think Mike and Barb were there, a lot of people were there at their first birthday party that we celebrated, or second birthday that we celebrated at our house. They sat there like statues. They were so overwhelmed, they couldn't, they just couldn't process it. One of the other reasons that this is such a tough time is a week ago today, now here's a, here's a kicker for you, a week ago today is the anniversary of them being removed from their biological parents' home. When a foster child is removed, I don't know if you know what happens, the police show up. And the police remove the child with a DCF worker. And many times it becomes a very ugly situation. And DCF, though they try, and though they're trying to do the best for the child, create trauma in that child's life with that action as well. So here in this two-week span, and there's a point to this, here in this two-week span, we've got the anniversary of the boys being removed from their biologicals, which is a huge trigger in their life, and their birthday, which is another huge trigger. Hey, man, morning time, morning time is very interesting at our house at this period of the, of the year. After we get past this, man, summertime's great. But at this time, they are so keyed up because they do, they're, they've got all these feelings in their, in their, in their, inside them they don't understand how to deal with them. So we have to be patient. But I also understand this. I still need to parent my children so that they'll learn to act properly. It's a very difficult time for them to obey. That's the whole point of this. It's a very difficult time for Gabriel and Michael to listen and obey right now. But I would be doing them a great disservice, and I would not be doing my job as a father if I didn't make them obey, if I, didn't, if, I, if I let them slack right now. And I'm a really nice guy, too. I'm a fun father. Don't, don't look at me like I'm, uh, you know, Stalin or something. Uh, Hitler, maybe, but not Stalin. Uh, just kidding. But when it comes to obedience, it's not easy. Just ask your kids. But it's important. David Platt, pastor down in Washington, D.C., said this, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ. And he is more than enough for us. Whew, man. See, that's what it boils down to. That's what it comes to for us. Do you value your walk with Jesus above everything? If that is the most important thing, if your relationship with Jesus Christ, your personal walk with him, if that's the most important thing in your life, everything else will fall into line. I'm not saying everything else is going to be easy. I'm not saying your life is going to be a cheesecake with, with blueberry or strawberry or raspberry, whatever you like on your cheesecake, right? I'm a blueberry guy, but anyway, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm saying it's going to make sense. And doesn't that make it worth it? If you can look at your life and say, you know what, it's not easy. This is difficult. There's a reason why people don't 
uh, people don't like to invite us to parties. There's a reason why people don't want to talk to me about certain things. There's a reason why uh, we, we struggle. There's a reason why we give of our finances. There's a reason why I'm spending so much time at the church. It's because this is what God has called me to do. It's because it's important for me to obey so that my life will be tied up with his. Our passion must be to obey the will of God the Father in the same way that Jesus, his son, did. We do this by giving up our arguments and our agendas and truly, honestly, and fully accepting his word and way as truth and then living that truth out in all of our daily actions. Now let's start looking at what obedience is and how we should live obedience out. The first thing is this. Obedience to God must be our priority. If you are going to follow Jesus Christ effectively, if you're going to build a life that matters for him, if you're going to be fruitful to his kingdom, and if you're going to keep a personal relationship strong with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you folks, obedience to God must be your priority. In other words, you can't do this on your own. You do, I know, I know, I know. It's terrible to think, isn't it? Boy, it takes away that personal autonomy that we talk about so much now. It takes away, uh, my plan is such a great plan. No, it's really not. Not when it comes to the realm of serving God. If you're going to be fruitful for God, if you're going to have an effective personal relationship, obedience to God must be your priority. It must be your number one. What does that mean? I will do what he asks me to do. I will do what he tells me to do. What does he tell you to do? Let's start, let's start with the basics, right? He says, get into my word every day. Read my word every day. And don't just read it, meditate upon it. What is meditation? It is not, I can't even do that. It's not like, you know, hands together, chanting, and uh, we don't, you know, yeah, no, that's not our religion. Meditation is simply thinking with a purpose. It's thinking with a purpose. I'm sitting down and I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to think through this problem. I'm going to think through this situation. I'm going to read this passage of scripture, and man, that's deep. See, the mistake some of us make, and the reason why some of you don't have devotions, is because you started off with this read the Bible through in a year plan, right? And you didn't make it. It's like that gym membership that you, you kept for six weeks. Right? You might have made it through Genesis, Exodus, but then you got to Leviticus. And then, and then if, you, if you slogged your way through Leviticus, you got to Numbers. And Deuteronomy. My gosh, I can't even pronounce I thought Deuteronomy was like a cat in the, in the play Cats, right? And you got discouraged, and you stopped. Am I right? You see, you, you, you focused so much on the volume of reading, the goal of reading the Bible through in a year, which is a worthy goal for those of you who could do it. My dad has done it for the last year, for every year for the last, like, 50 years. My dad has read the Bible through cover to cover every year. Some of you can do that. But for some of you, some of us, the most effective way of reading is to read a passage and when it jumps out at you, you stop. And you read it again. And you read it again. 
And you allow that to start to seep into your mind and work its way down into your heart to where it starts to really make sense. And you pray about it and you meditate or you think about it and you allow the Holy Spirit to work on it and you chew on that all day long like a dog with a bone. And you let that work its way into your life until it truly makes sense and the Holy Spirit shows you how you can then apply that to your life. Man, that is Bible study. And then you get involved in a Bible study, right? Good stuff. And then we pray. Bible says to pray. Pray about all things. Prayer is one of the hardest things for many people to get involved in. I heard a pastor say one time at a pastor's fellowship, he says, I know, guys, we've talked about this. Prayer is the toughest thing for us to do. Man, as a pastor, it should be the easiest thing to do. Seriously. Because this job is not about me. And it's not about my wisdom and my intelligence and my ability. This is about me simply being a conduit for God to the lives of others. So we just do the basics. We obey him in the, th in the basic things. Jesus modeled this for us when he said this. Remember these words of Jesus? Not my will, but yours be done. Where do you say that? Garden of Gethsemane. What was getting ready to happen? He was getting ready, right? Go ahead. Crucifixion. Crucifixion. They were getting ready. The, the, the guards, the, the, the uh, Judas was leading the crowd to take Jesus by, by what they thought was going to be by force. And Jesus knew in his foreknowledge, he knew what was about to happen. And there are those theologians who believe it wasn't the physical pain that Jesus was going to go through that was so difficult for him to accept, but it was the separation from the Father. When the Father, as we see in the account of the crucifixion, the Bible says that the Father turned his back on the Son because he could not look on the sin. Man. And Jesus said, if there's any way possible, Father, please, please take this cup from me. Please take the, I know there's a mom and a dad who really wish there was another way, right? Really wish there was another way for their child to have the situation fixed. But not my will, Father, yours be done. You see, that's where it comes down to the rubber meeting the road. When you have to put your faith into practice every day, and Jesus said, it's possible because I went, to the, I went to the deepest, darkest part of life to save your soul. I showed you it can be done. And if you will obey my will, if you will obey my Father's words, if you'll put it into practice in your life, and you can say obediently, Father, I'd rather, there is nothing wrong with saying I'd rather not go through this. I'd rather not deal with this. I'd rather not have, this, have, have to go through this, Father. I really wouldn't. It's really not on my list of things to do in life. It's not on my bucket list. But it's not my will that needs to be done but yours. It's not my will that will glorify you. It's yours. Therefore, I will obediently follow you and say, not my will, but yours be done. It must be our priority. Obedience is what he wants and expects from us. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. You remember this. Saul was the first anointed king of Israel, right? Head and shoulders, he stood above everybody. He looked like a king. He was a big, strapping, strong guy, biggest man in the land. 
course he's going to be our king. Paul tur Saul turned out to be an utter failure as a king. Utter failure. He turned out to be a selfish, arrogant, egotistical waste of time. Saul thought he was, because he was king, he could stand in the place of God. And he could stand in the place of God's servant, God's prophet. So what did he do? He offered the sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to. He didn't want to wait for God. He didn't want to obey. You know why? Because Saul, in his arrogance, didn't think he needed to obey. Some of you, let me just get personal and practical. Some of you, in your arrogance, don't think you need to, be, to obey. The reason you don't move forward in your walk with the Lord is because you don't think it's important enough for you to obey the Father's will, the Father's plan, the Father's purpose. Let's see what happened to Saul. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? You see, Saul thought because he sac committed the sacrifice that everything was cool. There are those who believe they can buy their way out of God's plan. I'll just give an extra 5% of my income. There are those who think they can serve their way out of God's plan. I'll just, I'll just be active. This is what I talked about at the beginning. Busyness is not necessarily spirituality. I'll be involved in everything. Man, God will be pleased with me. Is that what God wants from you? You know why some people get involved in everything? In everything? Because they don't want to get involved in the one thing that God has called them to get involved in. They don't want to surrender their life and their heart to serve in that one area that they are gifted and talented and called to be involved in. Therefore, they get themselves so busy in everything else that they don't have time to really do what God had called them. What did Jesus say to, uh, to Martha when she was busy running around the house serving everybody, but her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, right? He said, Martha came and she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get up. Tell her to get busy. Hey, I have people here in the church that tell me, Pastor John, why don't you tell people to get busy? First of all, it's not my job to do that. It's your choice. But secondly, because Jesus looked at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you, I'll get it in the Pastor John translation. Martha, Martha, you just don't get it. You're busy doing what you think is important. But Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has made the better choice. She is sitting at the feet of, of Jesus, the one who will die for her sins. She is sitting and learning and taking in from me. That's the better choice. See, some of you think you've got it all, all set. And you can make your own way. And you'll put your own plan into place. And God will somehow accept that because you're busy. Man, that's not what it's about. Busyness is not spirituality. Samuel goes on to Saul, he says, to, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Whew. If you're not obeying, you're rebelling. Samuel knew that. He says to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, or as the old King James says, rebellion as the, is as the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Well, there's no punches pulled in that, is there? That's pretty straightforward. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
In Israel, they followed the family, uh, the, the family order of being king. You know what it meant for Saul to lose, Saul's family to lose the kingdom? You know what it meant? It meant that all of Saul's boys had to die. Live with that. Live with that choice, your arrogant choice. Listen, I'm not saying God's going to take your children, but let me, add, let me tell you something. Let me just make it real, real clear in real life here. Mom, dad, husband, wife, you refuse to obey God. Your children may just end up paying the price because they're not going to be raised in a godly home they're not going to be given the right training and tools. You think everything's more important than being faithful to church? Don't, don't, I mean, you come and talk to me and I'll be more than happy to help you when, when the time comes when your teenager absolutely refuses to walk in the doors of a church again. That's a little slice of, of Hades that you don't want to go through. I was a youth pastor out in Springfield, Missouri. I had a youth ministry of over 300 teenagers. You have no idea. Man, I had to visit kids in prison because their parents, for extra money, turned the house into a drug dealer den and used the kids to sell it. And she was a bank vice president. I had to visit kids in all kinds of places. Had to go and, and talk to kids and, and, and console kids because their, their parents overdosed on drugs. These were people from what we would consider good homes. Listen, parents, when you choose not to follow Jesus Christ, it's not just your life that you're putting in jeopardy. It's not just your life that you're affecting. When you choose not to make those choices and not to obey God, yes, 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 he says you need to be in church every Sunday. Well, I just don't agree. Okay, don't take it up with me. Take it up with him because it's his word that says it. What you're doing is rebelling against the teachings of God in his word. I know, man, geez, Pastor John, where is this coming from? You know where it's coming from? It's coming from a man who wants to see families get it together in a church, get it together and build and reach. We've got over 50% of our town that doesn't know Jesus. We've got to learn that obeying the plan of God is the first step in being fruitful and productive in his kingdom. We'll end this with Proverbs 21.3. We'll pick it up next week and finish this off. Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He doesn't... Can I... Listen, I know we have bills, and I know there are people that will get upset with me for saying this, but God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money more than he wants your life. Because if you'll give him your life, you'll give him your money. When you get your life straight with God, nothing else will matter. When you get, it, when you get your personal life straight with God, you'll work on your marriage. Right? You'll work on your marriage. When you get your personal life right with God, you'll work on your children. You'll work on your family. When you get your personal life right with God, you'll work on relationships with other people. And you'll start to see those out there that don't know Jesus in a different way. I promise you that. But it all starts with being obedient to the plan of God. Obedience is God's plan. There's no shame. Gentlemen, it does not emasculate you. It gives you amazing freedom. What great... Listen, there's a kid on my boys' baseball team 
Name is Jack. Gabriel and Michael are really good. They're good ball players. Jack is special. He's, those of you who played baseball, he's that kid. He, he would pitch and play shortstop, right? He can hit, he can field, he can throw. He's got an awareness on the field. He knows where the ball's going all the time. He just, Jack has, at, at the age of eight, Lewis, I'm telling you, man, he has got it. He's got it, man. On a baseball team, there's nine guys in the field at one time. You want one guy that you can count on and not have to worry about. You want one guy that can lead the rest of the team and be the example. That's Jack. In my life, I need that one on my team that can lead by example, and that's my savior. See, that doesn't emasculate me. That makes me more, than, more of a man than I'll ever be on my own. That makes me more powerful as a father than I'll ever be on my own. That makes me more powerful and loving and compassionate and graceful as a husband than I'll ever be on my own. Because I do my best to submit and be obedient to the will of God. How about you? How about you? We'll pick this up and finish it next week. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, Lord, to worship. Lord, what an amazing time of worship we had today. Lord, what a great crowd. Just a, a, a great spirit here today. Thank you so much for bringing us out to your house. And thank you for your word. Lord, it's not always easy to hear what you have to say to us. It's not always palatable. It's not e always easily digestible. But God, I pray for open hearts and open minds and open spirits today. That you might speak to the hearts of each one of us. So that we might accept your teaching and your truth and take it into our lives, God and desire and strive and push to be the ones you've called us to be. Lord, as we go from this place today, may we go forward with your blessing. May we go forward with your power and your passion. God, may we go forward as worshipers, looking to take the light of your glorious gospel to a world in need. Give us the courage to walk through every open door and the passion to be obedient to your will. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.